I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. today the rolling stones in 1981 opened their tour with under my thumb this was in my concert t-shirt vending days and they played three consecutive days of the cotton bowl in dallas over halloween weekend my current wife lynn and i were dating at the time and uh she she actually helped me that weekend was working one of the t-shirt vending stands and um, the things that I remember about that were it poured rain throughout the weekend t-shirts cost $10 what we call jerseys they were the long sleeve Mm t-shirts were $13 but the dollar bills for change would stick together because it was so wet that we would hold in our hand to make change and so, my buddy Alex and I would tell, we would tell the people, unless you have exact change, we can't make change. And so people would hand us a $20 bill and say, just give me a, an XL jersey and keep it. There you go. So, the way that the business worked back then, it doesn't anymore. Um, you were responsible, obviously, for having the accurate count on the money off of the shirts and merchandise sold. And if you came up short, it came out of your pocket. You had to make it up out of what, what your commission was going to be for the day. Yeah. On the other hand, if you came up over, mm-hmm. you kept the overage. So we had a pretty successful weekend selling that. But, um, and then you wished it rained every time you were selling T-shirts. Yeah, really. And I, not, not really. It was tough. I, Journey, City Park Stadium in New Orleans, uh, 1983 on the 4th of July, just pouring rain on that. But anyway, uh, that was the, 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 the Stones open with that. Now, how about this for, for a, a triple header of the Cotton Bowl? A relatively unknown band, the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Wow. Featuring. They're, they're openers? They're the Jimmy opening Ray Vaughn and Stevie Ray Vaughn. Oh. Yep. Then ZZ Top. Then the Stones. It was a triple header back in the day. That was in the Cotton Bowl there. So second hour of the program here. Thanks again to Bucky Godbold joining us. I, I wanted to have Buck on one more time because obviously we've known each other a long time. And uh, uh, just like several, in fact, the vast majority of us in this building, uh, his time in this building will be coming to a conclusion. His will be on Monday. Uh, our last show will be on Tuesday for Jeff and I. 
Um, so I wanted to have Bucky on uh, one more time. Tomorrow on the program, Jeff is out again tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, David Pierce, Longhorns baseball coach, will join us. And uh, Keith Moreland's coming in tomorrow. Going to have him on in uh, the 11 o'clock hour. Keith will be coming in. So we'll look forward to that. Jeff will be back in on Friday. Um, and uh, we will, before this hour is done, give away another copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. A female listener number 19 says, can you tweet out the full sports coverage ad or is it copyrighted to the zone? I don't think it is, but uh, if you follow Chris Bennett on Twitter, he has tweeted it. CB has tweeted it out there. Uh, it, 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 clean up from hour number one when somebody was saying, you should see when they drain the San Antonio River for cleanup. Nasty river there for that. I, I'd rather not. I've been there one time, I remember, when it, when it was drained, when they had drained it out. It was, it was kind of nasty. And somebody said, uh, for Bucky, is it Buck? If I win Mega Millions, ain't none of y'all leaving the horn. <laughs> I, 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 and I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize. I did not see this um, text on the Specs text line asking Bucky if he's still available for hand modeling. Uh uh, you know, you know the story um, uh, that uh, Noah Gross did at uh, at KXAN. Uh, really good story on Porter Brown, who's coming back for one more season in a Longhorn baseball uniform, the, and that's that Porter Brown was an eye model as a child. And if you've seen Porter Brown's eyes, you know how alluring Porter's eyes are. And, and they're kind of sensitive. That's why he wears, why he wears sunglasses a lot. Uh, but Porter will be back for one more season. And uh, he, he, he was an eye model for somebody. Somebody said, I was at that Dallas Rolling Stones show. I was blown away that ZZ Top was only three guys. Yeah. Superdome. Somebody said, I worked the show in Superdome. And, and if you were at the one at the Superdome, I believe it was December 4th of 81 or 6th of 81, uh, then you will remember that they shot off fireworks inside of the Louisiana Superdome at the end of that show. Something that will never happen again, I can promise you, uh, but did. So, <laughs> anyway, so there's the deal. All right, um, here we are at 10 past the hour, and uh, time to go to the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline. As we mentioned, we uh, had a lot of fun, uh, continue to have a lot of fun visiting with uh, my good friend, our MLB insider, Gene Watson, who joins us on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline. Did you ever see the Rolling Stones in concert, Gino? I never did. Yeah. Oddly enough, and I love the Rolling Stones. I actually was listening to a lot of their music yesterday. We we were in Cleveland, so <laughs> our, our hotel lobby, our hotel lobby, actually because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is here, uh, just plays rock and roll music all day. So I bet I heard ten Rolling Stones songs yesterday. Uh, I bet so. And, and I'm trying to remember. You did the music survey last year. Was the Stones the the band you should have seen by now, question, answer, or did you have somebody Probably. else? Well, and as I said then, I mean, we could have done it the next day and it would have been completely different answers. So that's the <laughs> subjective world of music to me. So, yeah, yeah, uh, no, no, no doubt about that. Uh, I, uh, uh, you know, obviously we're drawing closer to the trade deadline and things like that. We'll get to all of those things, but our, but you have spent uh, the the vast majority of your uh, professional baseball life in the scouting world and dealing uh, with uh, young men who uh, are getting the advice from their families, their representatives, and things like that. Uh, and and I know you stay in communication with families 
before uh, the team makes a specific draft? Because I know there's that question about signability, but you're also trying to get to know uh, more about the young man uh, before the uh, before the parent club makes a decision on whether to draft him, correct? 100%. And, and the gauge for me is, and the thing that I always try to tell the families are two things. Don't live the life of comparison because your situation is completely different than every other player in the draft based on your academic situation, your finances, your family situation, and what club selects you. Um, and, and the other thing I tell young players is if you're 99.9% sure that you want to play pro ball, go back to college because you have to be 100% committed to this game. It is a world like none other. And if you're not mentally prepared, if you leave anything behind wishing you might have gone back or hoping or, or that you're going to be homesick or you're not really sure you're ready for pro ball, you've got to go back to school because this is a 100% grind that you have to be uh, mentally prepared for. Well, and toward that end, the reason why I say this is because I know you've ridden that roller coaster with families when the negotiating is going on. Let's say the next step happens, and uh, whether it's your ball club or another one uh, ball club, uh, you know, uh, you might know a family really well and what they're what they're going through and what they're dealing with. And uh, just like you said, it's is it difficult to get families? Not to compare, especially when you're talking about an industry that uses comparisons. And I'm talking about slotting and and uh, and where that is in terms of slot value and things like that, because you have to do that as a financial measuring stick. Is that is that part of the challenge in what you're dealing with with families on that? It, it's impossible not to get the players and the families to live the life in comparison, because no matter what advice you tell them, and I probably help five to ten families a year and and i don't i don't necessarily tell them sign with pro ball uh go back to college i just try to paint the picture of one where the industry sees you this is where they see you now that doesn't necessarily mean you won't be a major league player the i think the history shows evidence of of many many players that were selected in the later rounds that got to the big leagues but it's really your inner desire it's your present situation with where you are as a player and it's your inner desire to play professional baseball because and i and i truly believe this when i say this to players that signing bonus is only the very beginning of a very long journey if you truly believe that you're a major league player the money is made at the major league level and and so that signing bonus is just one small part of the overall whole of your success as a player but uh i i I help families i've helped families I mean, my gosh, for you know, thirty years with this, and and it's the it's the one thing that never really goes away, uh, and it's a competitive side from the player and the family. But I just don't think you can you live the life of comparison because every team you're not in the room, you don't know what they're thinking, you don't know what they're trying to do with the draft board, you don't know where they're trying to save money, you don't know what's need based and what's ceiling based in the pick, and so yet it's a very very difficult thing to do as those picks are coming off. And you're sitting at home going, I'm better than that guy. It's just, it's a very, very difficult thing to manage. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gene Watson uh, joining us here. I am MLB insider here on Light the Tower on the Horn. Uh, the, the other reason why I bring this up, Gino, and I, and I'm, and I want you to give uh, listeners a little bit of a, of, of, like you normally do, paint a little bit of a picture here. Uh, there was, 
the waiting around to see what Dylan Campbell was going to do yesterday, uh, before, but before the deadline, uh, he signed his deal with the Dodgers, uh, a $500,000 contract. Now, uh, everything we hear is that he signed above slot, and for folks who don't understand how that works and, and where he was as a fourth-round draft pick, how good a deal is this? Uh, for Dylan Campbell, I mean, it, you know me, I'm a Dodger fan, but I wanted to see him in a Longhorn uniform one more year, but uh, but I feel happy for him, and I know a lot of people feel happy for him, because for all in, uh, for everything I've heard, he got a really good deal to, to, to sign for half a million now as he, he goes to work on his professional career. Correct, and you, and you basically get a pool with your top ten picks, and every pick in that pool is given a dollar amount. And I'm sure as it went down to the deadline, there was more than one player that hadn't agreed. And so uh, you're massaging, you know, pick 80 that might be worth uh, 600 grand versus pick 120, which might be worth 300 grand. And you're just kind of pulling money away from those slots. So I'm sure it was a a sum total of dollars that they had to spend at the end of the day. uh, I'm happy to hear that Dylan got his deal. I, I was on the phone with Coach Pierce last week. David's a dear friend of mine. And, uh, you know, when Tanner Witt uh, went later than he did and, and LeBaron Johnson went later than he did, I, I sent him a text. I said, you had a heck of a recruiting class today. And, and I know he's very excited. And next year is going to be a really exciting season for the Longhorns. No doubt. And, and for, for a guy like uh, Dylan in signing that, the, the other side of that, and this is where uh, I wanted you to paint a little bit of a picture from the organizational side of that, how does that factor in when you start getting a percentage of tax, luxury tax, and things like that as clubs have to go above slot, whatever, to, to get everybody in the fold? Nothing as long as you don't go over, over your overall pool. There's no tax as long as you, go, you don't go over your overall pool. Now, the bigger problem that we face is the imbalance in the game is, is even like the, the luxury tax at the major league level or the, the scouting pool or the international signing pool, teams that have eight, $9 billion TV deals. Sorry, Craig, but they do. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't mind, they don't mind going over. They don't mind paying the luxury tax. The there's, there's an endless amount of spending where we as an organization don't have that opportunity. We can't go over the international signing bonus. We, we, we can't go over our amateur pool and we certainly can't go over the luxury tax. So that's, that's in some ways where there is a little bit of uh, economic imbalance with these scenarios. Yeah. Now, by going into and having to pay a luxury tax on that, that tax is then divided in it, isn't it, above the other clubs? So it does yes. kind of e- at least yes. indirectly help help out the other clubs a little bit? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Uh, um, okay. Uh, you've seen a great deal of baseball in your life. Uh, major league, minor league, college, high school. You were you were a professional player. You've you played at the collegiate level, high school. Uh, have you ever seen an eight three five triple play like the one the Braves pulled off last night against the Red Sox? No, never in my life have I seen it. it was incredible, and uh, it just it's just another example of this season and how crazy things have gone. I mean, it's it's. I don't think we've ever had a season with more excitement, more comebacks, more teams coming back in the ninth inning, tying the game, losing it in the 10th or the 11th. It's it's just been a remarkable season, but that's just another example of how the speed of the game has changed so much, the new rules, and uh, 
uh, it's incredible. It was really a cool play. Uh, it's it's also only the second eight three five triple play in Major League history. The other happened in eighteen eighty four. The Boston Bean Eaters turning it against the Providence Grace. And for folks that well, how did it happen? Uh, Michael Harris called a shallow fly ball from Tristan Casas, and and then through to first. Adam Duvall had strayed from off the bag, and uh, the throw easily got Duvall. And then Matt Olson fires across the, the diamond. That's the part, I think, that freaked everybody out to get Masataka Yoshida third after he tagged up and was attempting to advance. And so Harris held up his arms, and Austin Riley tagged out Yoshida, who was still several steps away from the bag. So, I mean, that's that's the, the, the part about what guys do, isn't it, that's unusual when you see the instincts kick in and the communication on the field to turn a play like that? And it begins with the low liner where Harris comes in and makes the play and nobody expects, nobody expects, and that's the instinct of the outfielder, nobody expects him to throw to first base. You're certainly not getting a good secondary lead from first on a short fly, medium fly ball to center field. So that's mistake number one. But mistake number uh, number two was if she had never expected uh, the throw to go to first base, so he ventures away with a secondary on the tag, and it just kind of lined up as a crazy play. Yeah. Now, um, the, uh, the 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 games that that have been played, and there have been some of those uh, rivalry games and things like that that have happened uh, over these past couple of days, uh, are uh, the excitement levels building. You were just in Chicago before headed over to Cleveland. I know any time that the Cubs and White Sox play, no matter where they are in the standings, uh, there, there's a little extra buzz in the town, isn't it? Just like it is for Mets Yankees when those two uh, were getting together as well uh, over the past couple of days. Well, it was exciting because the Cubs were playing the Cardinals when I was in there, and <laughs> everybody knows the rivalry of that. But in, in in walking around Wrigley and talking to the fans, everybody was so super excited about going across town to play the White Sox, and that game last night really really had a playoff feel to it. And um, it's just, it's a buzz in the city like none other when, you know, the families are getting together and the, the families are divided and, and all the, the, the noises being spoken by each side of the family. It's, it's a really, really cool thing to see. And going in there on Thursday to cover the Cardinals into Sunday, it was a lot of excitement around that series and moving over into the south side with the White Sox. Well, uh, the other reason I bring that up is, and I'm glad you brought up the term of, of a playoff-like atmosphere because that's what it has been described as being at Minute Maid Park the last two nights between Astros and Rangers and some controversy on plays of the plate and things of, of that nature as well. But that buzz is there because, what, Gino, this is the first time in seven years that both the Astros and Rangers are in that specific uh, uh, scenario where they're playing one another to see uh, who can take command of this division right now? It's so funny, and I mean, for all of us in Texas, this is such a historical series and the boot series and the silver boot and how you think about the, the early 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, the Rangers absolutely dominated. I can remember telling A.J. Hinch when he took over as manager, like, I don't understand why you can't be the Rangers. And I'm like, because your team doesn't believe they can beat them and you guys need a fight. you got to fight. And if, if there are there are situations in this game where you look at when when uh, when Elliot Johnson ran over Francisco Cervelli in spring training, Tampa Bay, New York, 
that was the Rays saying, hmm. we're not taking it anymore. We're going to beat you this season. And I remember early in 15, the, the Astros and Rangers early in the season had a bench-clearing fight. And that was the year that the Astros kind of flipped the script on the Rangers. And now it seems like it's still there for all the, the shortcomings that, that the Astros have had this year, physically, uh, injuries, uh, they've had a little underperformance in areas. And the Rangers have built up, built up, built up, and spent a lot of money on their rotation and their team. It still feels like Houston has their number. And so it's going to be a great race between these two teams. And uh, I know <laughs> I know people want to count them out, but don't count the Angels out. They, they, they're going to continue to add. And just when you think they're going to go away, they win a few games. They're, they've got a very difficult schedule. And I think the next seven to ten games are going to dictate whether they – make the move on Otani or not, but it's just, it's going to be Texas and Houston is going to be a great race down to the last week of the season. Well, that brings me uh, to where I was going next. You brought up Shohei Otani. And so it's still your feeling that because of what the angels publicly stated opinion to this point has been is that if they are in the race, there will be no trade. So, uh, so you're saying these next few days are going to determine that not only because we're approaching the trade deadline, but because of where the Angels are positioned as to whether they're still in the fight for a wild card spot. They are truly in one of the toughest situations you could be in as a club. You've got the best player in baseball who becomes a free agent at the end of the year. You know, they're going to get Mike back, Mike Trout back at the end of August. They've had a number of injuries. They've got guys in their system that three, four weeks from now, they need a little more time in the minor leagues, can come up and help guys like Kai Bush and Chase Silseth. And so they're in such a Bermuda's triangle when it comes to this decision. But they, they do have a very – they're in Detroit right now, but they do have a very tough part of their schedule coming up with Toronto, Atlanta, and Tampa. And so, I mean, this is really going to go down to the morning of and them waking up and going – Okay, look. What are we gonna? What's the very best decision for this organization long term versus versus us going for it this year? And if we get in, do we have the team to beat Baltimore? Do we have the team to beat Tampa? If we get to the World Series, do we have the team to beat the Dodgers? Do we have the team to beat Atlanta? And I think that's the very very difficult question you have to ask. Is as you know, once you get in, anything can happen. And so. It's truly one of the most unique situations I've ever seen in my time in the game. Let me throw some other names at you here. I know, I know last week I said incredulously, uh, are the Cardinals sellers instead of buyers, as, as some have suggested. And the, and the more this goes on, now I'm hearing names like Nolan Arenado, what with the Cardinals having Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walker in the minor league system. I'm hearing Paul Goldschmidt's name uh, brought up, uh, the possibility. Max Scherzer's name has been brought up again uh, with regard to maybe the, the Mets training him. And uh, and then I'm hearing Blake Snell and Josh Hader uh, perhaps from the, from the Padres, uh, Lucas Giolito from the White Sox, things like I mean, these are, these are the names that it, one would expect to start circulating, I guess, at this time of year, right? Yeah, and, and like in the Cardinals situation, uh, Goldschmidt and Arenado have full no trades. So they, they know where they will and won't go. And relative to where they will and won't go, do those clubs have the need? I, I know there was a club in the National League East that was very, very intent on Nolan Arenado, and he wouldn't accept the trade. So that's, that plays into this as well. Um, 
all of the teams you're talking about are all teams that going into the season had extremely high expectations, and it just hasn't worked. And so I, I do believe, as I said last week, that these are the teams. You named all four teams that I would say are looking in the mirror and saying, okay, do we need to take one step back to go two step forwards? And the Cardinals certainly have a number of pieces um, when you talk about Tyler O'Neill and Paul DeYoung and Arenado and Goldsmith and, and Flannery on the mound and, and Stephen Matz on the mound. They're the team that could benefit the most from, from tearing it down and multiplying off of all these because they do have some very good young players in Lars Newbar and Dylan Carlson and Jordan Walker and, so, uh, and Nolan Gorman. Uh, the other situations with the Padres, I don't know. I feel like they're, they're fairly pot committed right now. I don't think that they have the system moving forward uh, to like add to this major league team uh, from within. So I think they're going to be pot committed on trying to stay into this or maybe add some smaller pieces to help them just push towards the end and, and, re, and reload for 2024. Uh, the Mets, I do think, will try to move at least one of those starters uh, and, and they'll look around at some other pieces they can move. So the White Sox, they, they are the ones that have the most. When you look at where that division is with Minnesota, Cleveland, Detroit, ourselves, uh, they're the team that has probably been the most disappointed in their season, and now they can take a Luke, Lucas Giolito, a Lance Lynn, an Aaron Bummer, a Joe Kelly, and really restock their upper levels of their minor season and, and hit the reset button and go again in 24. And we'll close with this. Our, our resident Cleveland Guardians long-suffering fan, uh, Jeff, says, since the Royals are in Cleveland, would you ask Gene if Bobby Witt Jr. can just stay behind? We'll gladly give you Rosario and his frying pan in exchange. There is zero chance that Bobby Wood Jr. is staying in Cleveland when we get on the plane today. <laughs> there you go. Hey. I'm actually watching him take ground balls right now. So, Gino, thanks. I appreciate you doing it today. All right, Craig. Thanks so much. Have All a right. great week. You too. That's uh, Gene Watson, uh, <laughs> our MLB insider. All right. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll shift gears. We have our Flex 30 update and a special guest joining us. That'll be Drew Sanders, head coach of the Vandegrift Vipers, when we continue to light the tower on the horn, 1049-1019-AM1260, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Great way. Jeff Howe. Light the tower. This is Life the Tower on the Horn. Craig Way with you. Mick Jagger turned 80 years old today, so he's still rocking on. Um, age might be on my mind a little bit as we get now to our Flex 30 updates. 
Flex ATX for the best high school sports coverage. Listen to the horn and go to FLXATX.com. Flex 30 is brought to you by Brain Vault. Brain Vault is a revolutionary and patented mouth guard that has been proven to help reduce the risk of concussion. Visit BrainVault.com and join the movement. All right, the reason why I said that is I I, I don't know that I'll still be broadcasting at age 80, but I, but I uh, feel pretty good about the fact that uh, our, our next guest joining us here at, 10, at 1135 on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline uh, is is young at heart, young at spirit, and might still be coaching at age 80. He's Drew Sanders, the head coach of the Vandegrift Vipers. Am I right, Drew? You'll, you'll still be uh, having the whistle around your neck at age 80, right? I, I think so. Why not? Why not? What else am I going to do? So, yeah, I, I like that. I like that thought. I appreciate you joining us. And I know... I, I know coaching means an awful lot to you, not just from uh, building a program as you've done at Vandegrift and and uh, and coaching it all the way to the state finals last year, but a uh, but but the the vocation of coaching. I've heard you talk about it before at coaching school. It's discussed quite often about what the vocation means to you as a coach. Correct. Yeah, we just had our coaching training where I'm about to go into one now. We just had our overall coaching training last week. And and to, to me as a coach, I don't think there's any more honorable word than coach. I mean, I think that if it's done right, you can be a huge influence on a human being. You know, I'm, I'm a coach because of a coach. And um, and I think that it just you never know where a good teacher or coach's influence ends. You uh, have uh, the unique opportunity or the unique experience, and not all coaches have this type of thing, where you are going into a season, coming off a season like you've never had before in terms of success. You played a full 16 games. You won 14 of them. You got to the state championship round. You had a really competitive uh, more than half of football, virtually three-quarters of football against the ultimate, uh, uh, the eventual state champion, DeSoto Eagles. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on what the you and I visited right after when it was over, but what it's been like in the off-season work and for your guys and the ones who've come back on what it's been like, because this this is different for you, isn't it? Unprecedented to take uh, the reins of a team that's come off playing for a state championship the season before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we've managed success over the last several years. You know, I think we have had five or six double-digit win seasons in a row, and uh, so we're really proud of that fact. But, yeah, nothing nothing that has been this level, and that brings its own – challenges you know you just have to make sure that your guys understand like nobody and it's as crazy as it sounds nobody really cares about last year and so you have to find a way to are you still going through the process that got you to what you did and uh, Nick Saban's a very wise old coach because that's all he talks about is the process of building a team and becoming a family and we've worked really hard to find a way to do that over uh, the last off season, and and we'll find out. You know, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. So we'll see how we play. Uh, we'll we'll be able to tell real quick how we play first game. Yeah, not, I mean, uh, is it what is it that Nick Saban says? The success flu, and that that's one of the things that mm-hmm. that you and your your staff try to avoid with your guys is making sure. And and you've had a, an entire off season, and of course, and it mm-hmm. uh, it ended with the the heartbreak of the loss, but still. Uh, a landmark year for the program that you've built from the ground up, and now it's about just being able to to mentally, as well as what you want to do on the field, take that next step? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, 
for us, I just try to do small steps. And so for us, you know, we don't want to skip the importance of winning a district championship, you know, like that's just not uh, a guarantee with our district that we're just going to roll in and everybody's going to be like, oh, well, you went to stay last year, so let us give you this W, you know, I mean, that just, that's not how it happens. In fact, you become a little bit, what I've found over the last several years, because we've been, we've had part of five district titles in a row, three outright, and everybody gets up for your game. It's, it's, we're circled for the last five seasons. And so, you know, we've got to understand the importance of taking first what's most important, which is we've got a pre-district schedule that has three good teams. Let's try to win most of them. Let's try to get better. Let's try to stay healthy. And then now we have our, you know, seven important games that, that get our seating, get us a home playoff game, all of the things that kind of set you up for playoff success, but you just can't, you know, it's a ladder and you try to step, you know, you try to skip a rung in a ladder and, you know, that's disaster. Vandegrift Vipers head coach Drew Sanders joining us here on Light the Tower on the Horn. Okay, uh, in terms of looking just at your numbers alone, because you lost some outstanding players off that, but you have some outstanding players coming back. Uh, right now, as we, we visit on this on July 26th, what do you feel uh, most excited about about what you have coming back? And if there is a, uh, a at, at this very early stage a question in your mind about hey if this happens and this comes through the way we think and hope it might, uh, then it then it could be really special. What would those two elements be right now for your program? Man, I'm I'm very excited about my starting offensive line. You know, we brought we brought three back uh, from last year. And then um, Jacob Henry moved in over the offseason, so he's going to be playing more O-line than D-line for us. Um, and so just our starting our starting five will be very strong. Um, you know, we've got some unproven backs, but I really like what they have shown so far. Um, and and um, our, two, our quarterback room, you know, has to be – um, one of the best quarterback rooms in the state with, with, you know, I hired Mike Adams with Deuce coming in with him. And then of course I have Drew Mestemaker, the young man that was the backup all last year. They're battling it out right now. So I'm really pleased about that. Um, we can't forget the six, a cover boy at, hmm. at, you know, wide receiver miles Coleman. Um, my tight ends back. Um, he's a division one guy. I got him, Jay Scoglin and defensively, you know, I've got the, player of the year by a couple of polls Alex Foster back uh in the middle uh, almost all my linebackers are back my nose tackles back I mean it's you know I've got I've got several key pieces back you know secondary wise I've got to find um some new guys there so if I had a um a piece that was worrying me a little bit and we need to see guys step up that would be the the corners and the safety spots Visiting with Drew Sanders here. Okay, you brought up Miles Coleman, and for folks who don't have uh, haven't seen it yet, in Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, he is the six A cover boy on that. F- first things first, once and for all, can you? And I know he's still a growing young man, but can you tell me right now, with a degree of certainty, exactly how tall he is? <laughs> um, you know, if I had my hand on the Bible right now, I'd say it was five. Six, okay. five, six and a half. Okay, okay, yeah. all right. Um, but a, a guy like that, not only being the explosive and trend-setting, uh, transcendent playmaker that he has been and is for your program, but you get leadership out of him as well, don't you? And that's one of those things we talk about as you transition from the the most successful season in school history to trying to build on that, having guys like that to try to point the direction, ma- making this truly the, the, the player-led team you wanted to be? That's right. Yeah, you want coach-directed, player-led is what I say all the time. And and 
he is a big part of that. You know, he's he is quiet by nature, but he has been way uh, more vocal this off season. He has set an example by still working hard. You know, one of my slides in my coaching um, deal that I go over with all my coaches and set expectations is when your best players are hardest workers, you have a chance to to be really good. And that's him. Like he's never missed a day this summer, or if he did, it was to go to a college camp. And he told us prior, otherwise he's been in the weight room. You'll notice when you see him play this off season that he's gained probably 10 pounds of muscle um, and just looks really good. And is still just as fast. Uh, but yeah, he definitely is a is a tone setter for our team. All right, so tell everybody a little bit about uh, the Adamses. Tell about about Deuce and about uh, about Eli because this is the part, uh, Drew, where I begin to feel very old because I did games when <laughs> Mike Adams Mike. played, and yeah. I'm not just talking about Texas. I did a, a playoff game between Arlington, Sam Houston, and San Angelo Central when Mike was playing at Sam Houston back in 91. So, wow. so that's, that's how far that takes me back on that deal. But how about these, how about these two young men? Yeah, they, you know, first of all, Mike's a great coach, um, worked for me before, worked for me, I think, in 16 or 17, um, and always stayed in touch with him. They have been friends since, and we had an opening and was able to get him over here as one of our receiver coaches. He's he's helping me with a lot of head coach thing. He's been an admin, all that stuff, so he's he's going to be a you know assistant head coach. He does a lot of things for me. Um, Deuce is a quarterback commit, four-star quarterback commit to Louisville, um, does a great job, extremely um, quick release, has a very powerful arm. Um, and then Eli is um, his his brother who is a receiver and is extremely fast. Um, his straight line speed is as good as anybody, and I'm, I'm putting him up there with, uh, with Miles as far as how fast Miles is. Um, and so with his – with his speed on the outside and Miles' speed on the inside, you know, I, it could be problematic for people that are that are playing us. No doubt about that. All right, uh, last thing here before I let you go because I know you got to jump back in the meetings. You talked about the non-district schedule. I, I always ask you about that being kind of the table setter for you in a, in a tough district like 25-6A. How important it is in, 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 for you to have the good start against this competitive non-district schedule that you have? Yeah, I mean, I just think we need to figure out um, we'll be rotating some guys. We'll be playing some. We got to figure out who the guys are. We have. That's the thing about Vandergrift. We're very fortunate. We have competition in a lot of positions, and um, so we will be competing against a great team. I mean, you look at the teams that are on our schedule. Cedar Park is obviously always a contender. Um, Dripping Springs, of course, we had two amazing games against them, and then Waco Midway's way improved, and they've been a state power, been to state championships games, and they're on the way back up. And so there's just not one game there that's not going to test us and make us better. So that's why I got them on the schedule and, and um, we'll find out, you know, I mean, we, that's the way I look at it. I look at it as an overall thing. We've got three games to figure ourselves out before Stony. And so we experiment a lot. We do a lot of different things in those games because um, we just are trying to put the best foot forward in district. So did you and Galen Zimmerman run into each other at coaching school and say, let's run this back and play two more times in 2023? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he wants to. I think he wants to. I was open to it. I mean, it only makes us better. I mean, and everybody wants to come to the game because it's just too 
um, two good programs. And um, I mean, it's just almost mirror images of each other. Um, and so and he does a great job, as you know. And so it's going to be an amazing game. It'll be a sold out one at his place this year. Yeah. And and uh, what that would mean, obviously, uh, is, is that you'd be meeting again in the quarterfinals like you did last year. It'd be a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> hey, Drew, it's, it, it's always been a lot of fun us conversing. And I'm sure we'll uh, uh, we'll stay in contact with one another and we'll yeah. have uh, opportunities to visit again, probably on the television show and some other things there. But I wanted to get you on uh, this particular program one more time time and i appreciate you doing it thanks reagan thanks for the invite you bet all right that's drew sanders head coach of the vandegrift vipers and uh they're gonna be difficult again to deal with cam yeah i'm curious because gene made the point about the rangers and astros how the rangers absolutely dominated that that rivalry in the early 2010s and, and coach hinch asked you know gene how how come we can't win it's like we you don't have that confidence yet and now we've seen that flip and I guarantee you the Astros have more confidence because they've been dominating. Now, with football, I think a big part of these young kids and getting to that next step, because Vandergriff never got to the state championship. That was the first time. And a lot of that is maybe you have the dreams of going there, but maybe you don't have that confidence. Now, since they've been there, now they're that program. I wonder if that confidence in that program shifts to what it's like at a Westlake or a Lake Travis program, and Vandergriff becomes a team that is constantly going deeper and deeper. Because looking at the roster, I mean, they've – they lost some key pieces, but I think they reloaded and are one of the best teams in this Austin area right now. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing uh, uh, the Adams brothers. Yeah, in Deuce, Louisville commit, yeah. Yeah, and, and Eli, uh, following his dad's footsteps as a receiver, uh, Mike did a little bit of everything when he played high school at Sam Houston. He was a running back and a receiver. And then, of course, at Texas, he was an outstanding receiver mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I'm going to have to give him some grief when I see him because uh, I know – uh, very very well the the he's now a gentleman he was he was a, a gentleman but he was a very young man who was the RA wow at Jester <laughs> when Mike Adams was living in Jester and the RA told me a story about uh, Mike and some others getting into a little bit of trouble with a yeah. water balloon fight. So I mean, I, I have to, I have to bring that up to Mike. Oh man, I bet, I bet he's got some some great stories from being an RA at Jester. Uh, well, he wasn't the RA. That my friend was the RA yeah. who yeah. had to police yeah. the situation. Now uh, he said, that, you know, with all the athletes living there, it was always a challenge. But uh, Mike was always a lot of fun to visit with. He was he he was very. Uh, very effervescent and a lot of fun to visit with. So I look forward to uh, having a chat to visit with him. Uh, Vandegrift has its scrimmage, by the way, against Hutto. So a former district opponent, of course, is now in, in Region 2 in, in 13-6A. Probably a great scrimmage to go against Will Hammond. Yeah. Uh, D1 command. That'll get you ready for the season. Yeah, that's that's their scrimmage. And, and how about opening at Dripping Springs, Cedar Park at home, and then up in uh, – at Midway to play uh, Midway there in the Waco area. And then the open district play uh, at Stony playing at Dragon Stadium. Then coming off the bye week, they have Maynard at home at McNeil at Dragon Stadium at McNeil uh, at Round Rock at Dragon Stadium. They have three games, three road games at Dragon Stadium this year, Stony, McNeil, and Round Rock. And then they have uh, Cedar Ridge at home at Monroe. They play Vista Ridge at Gupton and then – uh, they close out with their senior night against Westwood there at Monroe. So Vandergriff uh, rated number six in the state in Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Speaking of which, let's give away a copy right now to caller number 10. Tenth caller at 
3776. 512-447-3776. Be caller number 10 to win a copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine from the Horn. Hey, our thanks so much uh, to all of you today tuning in, all the nice words you've had to say, certainly on uh, behalf of Bucky Godbolt and uh, and myself as well as we head down the uh, homestead. Did we have a winner of uh, the magazine? Zeke Romero. Zeke, congratulations. We're still giving away a few more and doing it online as well at hornfm.com. Uh, so four shows left. Tomorrow, Friday, then Monday, Tuesday, and it's the last show Cam and I are doing together, at least now and for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Right? At least you're in the studio. Yeah. That is, so so uh, we have Happy Jack Farrell tomorrow on Friday? On Friday, Monday, and Tuesday. Right. Oh, so you're here tomorrow. Yes. That's right. Last that's day right. tomorrow. That's right. Tomorrow is the last day. Okay. Tomorrow on the program, uh, David Pierce, Longhorns head baseball coach, joins us. Keith Moreland will be in the studio in the 11 o'clock hour. We'll look forward to that. Uh, four, Mucky Gobbolder joined earlier, and thanks to Drew Sanders and Gene Watson, who were joining us on the program. For our producer, Cam Parker, I'm Craig Way. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. Chad and Zay are up next. Visit with you tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, here on Light the Tower.